Uh, good morning, church. <clears throat> it's really good to be with you. It's always good to be with you. We don't get to do it very often, but uh, we're very glad to be with you. Um, Watkinsville is a home to us. I want to thank you, before I get started, for your support over the years, for your giving, which supports us, for your prayers. Uh, and by the way, we do have new prayer cards that have been updated. The other ones were kind of old. We've all grown and lost more hair and things like that. So they'll be out in the foyer, I believe. After the service, there'll be a few. Uh, so thank you. We're very glad to be with you. At the missions table, which is that direction, over there. The building is new to us, too, sort of. Uh, I just want to get right into it, if that's okay. So if you have your Bible, let's look at Mark chapter 5. I like to hear the turning of pages. I'll just put my plug in here for a hard copy of the Bible. You won't receive any notifications, no texts. Just by virtue of a hard copy, your attention is focused. I'm glad to hear the pages turning. So let's look at this together. It's a familiar passage, I think, to some of us, maybe to many of us. Mark chapter 5, beginning in verse 1. It says, they came to the other side of the sea, to the country of the Gerasenes. And when Jesus had stepped out of the boat, immediately there met him out of the tombs a man with an unclean spirit. He lived among the tombs, and no one could bind him anymore, not even with a chain. For he had often been bound with shackles and chains, but he wrenched the chains apart, and he broke the shackles in pieces. No one had the strength to subdue him. Night and day among the tombs and on the mountains, he was always crying out and cutting himself with stones. And when he saw Jesus from afar, he ran and fell down before him. And crying out with a loud voice, he said, What have you to do with me, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? I beg you, by God, do not torment me. For he was saying to him, Come out of the man, you unclean spirit. And Jesus asked him, What is your name? He replied, My name is Legion, for we are many. And he, the demon-possessed man, begged Jesus earnestly not to send them out of the country. Now a great herd of pigs was feeding there on the hillside, and they begged him, the demons, saying, Send us to the pigs. Let us enter them. So he gave them permission. And the unclean spirits came out and entered the pigs, and the herd, numbering about 2,000, rushed down the steep bank into the sea where they drowned. The herdsmen fled and told it in the city and in the country. And people came to see what it was that had happened. And they came to Jesus and saw the demon-possessed man, the one who had had the legion, sitting there, clothed and in his right mind, and they were afraid. And those who had seen it described to them what had happened to the demon-possessed man and to the pigs. And they began to beg Jesus to depart from their region. As he was getting into the boat, the man who had been possessed with demons begged him that he might be with him. And he did not permit him, but said to him, Go home to your friends and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. 
And he went away and began to proclaim in the Decapolis how much Jesus had done for him. And everyone marveled. And that's my prayer for us this morning, that we would walk out of here marveling at what Jesus has done, but not only that, but who he is. In the book of Mark, from the very first sentence, Mark tells us directly what he's talking about. He's talking about Jesus, the Son of God. That's chapter 1, verse 1. And then from that time on, he proceeds to show us what he means. It's one thing to tell directly, but then he shows us time and time again who Jesus is by recounting his power and his authority. And in just the first four chapters before this, we see it demonstrated. Jesus shows his authority over evil spirits, and people see it, and they say he commands even the unclean spirits, and they obey him. He heals disease and paralysis. He speaks, teaches, and acts with divine authority. And people say, a new teaching with authority. He demonstrates his power over nature. He forgives sins as only God can do. And people know this and they question. They say, who can forgive sins but God alone? And they don't realize that God is in their midst. Mark shows us sign after sign after sign, intending for his readers, for you and for me, to come to the conclusion that Jesus is the divine Son of God and that we would listen to the words that Jesus said in chapter 1 when he went out in public and he said, the kingdom of God has come, repent and believe the gospel. So in a sense here in chapter 5, Mark is placing us on the banks of the muddy sea and we're walking with Jesus as he is approached by this demon-possessed man I don't know about you, but I might be hiding a little bit behind Jesus. But we are witnesses to this event as well. So one of the questions before us today is, how will you respond? How will you respond to Jesus this morning? In chapter 4, at the end of chapter 4, Mark tells us about a time when Jesus and his disciples got into a boat. They went on the sea, and suddenly, you know this, there was a big storm that arose out of the sea and the wind was blowing fiercely and the waves were crashing against the boat and the disciples feared for their life. But Jesus was asleep in the boat. And so one of the disciples went to him and they tried to wake him up and said, Jesus, don't you care that we're dying? And Jesus stood up and he looked at the wind and the waves. He looked out into the chaos and the violence and he spoke and he said, be quiet and be still. And the Bible says there was a great calm. And when they reached the other side of the sea, they came to the country of the Gerasenes, a Gentile land. And they encountered another storm. Only this one raged inside a man who had many demons tormenting him. This is Gentile territory, non-Jewish territory. And it would have been considered unclean to Jewish people, especially since the area where they were had tombs. This would have been considered unclean because you don't go around death. And in the distance, there's pigs feeding on a hillside, another unclean animal. And here before Jesus is a man with an unclean spirit. So you have unclean, 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 but Jesus marches forward. He does not shrink back. He marches forward and he brings the kingdom of God with its power and authority to bear on this man's life and in this place. 
because he cares about all people. He cares about the nations. What do we know about this man? Well, verses 2, 3, 4, and 5, they tell us. He came out of the tombs. He lived in the tombs. He was among the tombs, night and day among the mountains. This man is isolated from society, expelled. He's an outcast. Let me ask you, what kind of person lives among the tombs? If you answered a dead person, you would be correct. Dead people. We know that for a living person to live among the dead is not normal. We know this instinctively. We would assume this kind of person is not right in some way. Because what sane person wants to center their life around death? That's an upside-down way of thinking. But for demons, this is the way they think. This is the way of evil. Death, darkness, violence, and destruction are their delight. And to ruin a man, even while he lives, would bring them great pleasure. And they did this night and day, day after day. This man was always crying out and cutting himself with stones. No one was able to restrain him, not even with chains. They had tried, but he, with superhuman seemingly strength, broke the chains over and over again. No one could subdue this man. No one, some translations say, could tame this man. And that's a good translation because that word subdue there is a word that was used when talking about binding up animals. And indeed, this does not sound like a human. This sounds like the description of a wild animal. And that's because evil distorts and destroys our humanity. And it makes us more like a beast than a person. And humans who make a practice of wickedness will not flourish. Do not be deceived. We will be restless. We will be unwell. You might have everything you want, but what good is it if you lose your soul? We will not have true life because we're rebelling against our design and against our creator. We're cutting against the grain of God's purposes for us. It does not work. And yet we go on convinced and convincing each other that living for ourselves is the best way to live. And day after day, there are many voices who would love to show you how to do it. Many voices around us who would love to teach you how to live for your own glory, how to live for yourself. They might say, trust yourself with all your heart and lean not on anyone else's understanding. In all your ways, do what you want, and then your path will be straight. It's an upside-down way of thinking. Throw off constraint. Exalt personal autonomy. And when this kind of thing takes root, you don't have to look far to find the kind of people that Paul talks about in 2 Timothy. See if this sounds familiar. They are lovers of self, Lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, heartless, unappeasable, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not loving good, treacherous, reckless, swollen with conceit, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. 
you and I may not be living among the tombs. We may not be crying out or cutting ourselves with stones. But there is darkness all around. And maybe darkness within too. Even today, you may have come here enslaved to something that you can't seem to shake. You might have a little more in common with this man than you'd like to admit. And the truth is, apart from Jesus, we are all like this man. We are all slaves to sin and chained to our own evil desires. And let me tell you, sin is a cruel master. It promises much, but delivers very little. Sin will take and take and take and take you farther than you ever wanted to go. It is like a predator that is never satisfied. And spiritual death is the only result. And it might look pretty, it might shine, it might be pleasing to the eye, but underneath it, just under the surface, it's rotten and it smells like death. But Jesus came to set us free. In Mark 3, 27, just two chapters before this, Jesus talks about a strong man. And he says, no one can enter a strong man's house and plunder his goods unless he first binds the strong man. Then he may plunder his house. Jesus is the strong man. The kingdom of God has broken into the world. And it's broken into this demon-possessed man's life, and Jesus is going to tie up and overpower his captors so that this man can be set free. And that's what he does in the life of people who are chained. That's what he does in the life of people who call out to him. Sinners who call out for salvation, he ties up the captor and he sets you free. This man, when he saw Jesus from afar, he ran to him and he fell down before Jesus in a posture of submission. At the very least, you could say submission and recognition of a higher authority. Don't get it twisted, church. There is no competition here between Jesus and, and demons. Jesus is the king and it's not even close. This man who could not be restrained by anyone not even with chains, now suddenly restrains himself before the feet of Jesus. The demons recognize the power and authority and divinity of Jesus. They correctly call him the son of the most high God. That's good theology. They're right, but they have no interest in repentance, no delight in following Jesus or loving him. And in the 2,000 years or so since that event took place, there have been many just like that. They could answer some questions about Jesus. They could tell you some true things about him. They might admire him in some way, but in the end, they stop short of calling him God or Savior. Instead, they prefer something a little more nuanced, they might say, like he's a good teacher, a good man, an example for us all. Like the demons in Mark 5, these people will acknowledge something about Jesus, but they too do not want to turn away from sin. They don't want to actually 
submit their lives to him and follow him, does that sound like someone you know? I think if Mark was in this room today, he would say, I didn't write this down so that you would think Jesus was just a good man. That's not what I meant. Would demons cower in fear before a good man? Would they speak to the wind and the waves and then the wind and the waves obey them? Would they heal a paralytic man? Would they say, your sins are forgiven? Think about the best teacher you know. Would they do that? There's been some teachers I know, but I doubt they would cower before Jesus. There might be some who would be more friendly to the demons than to Jesus. So pay attention. Mark is giving us the signs. And to ignore these signs and brush Jesus off as something less than the Son of God, less than the Savior of the world, would be the height, I think, of foolishness. Jesus speaks to this man and he says, come out of the man, you unclean spirit. With compassion and righteous authority, Jesus commands the demons to leave this man alone. Have you thought about that? We read this and we just glance over it. Every movie that you like with a hero involves something like this, where the hero speaks to a person in trouble, speaks to the bad guy, and he says, you leave them alone. And he does what the strong man does. He binds up the bad guy so that the person can go free. I was watching Back to the Future on the plane ride. Sorry, that's a... Anyways, if you know, you know. Back to the Future on the plane ride from Taiwan to America. And there's a part in there where Marty McFly's dad is going to the girl that he loves. And she's being bothered by this jerk of a guy, this bully. And he says, you get your hands off of her. And the audience is supposed to cheer, right? And that's what Jesus is doing here. Leave him alone. He doesn't belong to you. Come out of the man. Do you see the compassion that Jesus has for people? He cares for people and he cares for you like no one else. This man is someone's son. But here he is living among the tombs, separated from the warmth of his friends and his family. And out here among the tombs and the mountains, he lives a cold, miserable, tormented life. The demonic power in this man's life is great. And it seems like there's no hope for him at all. He's in bondage to the power of sin, the power of shame. Later on, we're, we're told that he's clothed. So what was he before that? He was without clothes. There's shame involved here. And he's in bondage to death, destruction, but I want to tell you what the scripture tells us, and that is that Jesus came to destroy the works of the devil. And he did this on the cross. In Colossians 2, we read that God made us alive through Christ, and he forgave us all our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross, and listen, he disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in Christ. The power that Satan has over us is the power of sin and death. 
But what happens if the power of sin and death is disarmed? Then you have life. And Jesus came to destroy these things for us. He defeats the power of sin by his righteous life on our behalf. He overcomes death by his resurrection. He grants this victory that he won to all who trust in him. And if we belong to him, there's no longer any condemnation, no longer any shame, no longer any fear. What a wonderful thing it is to have Jesus come to your rescue. The stain of sin is one that we cannot wash away on our own. Who could save this man, this demon-possessed man, except someone stronger, someone stronger than his captor? We have a stain of sin that we cannot wash away. But the strong man has come. Jesus came for people like you and me to liberate us from the penalty and power of sin so that we might flourish as we walk not in rebellion to our Creator, but in step with Him, in fellowship with Him. This man suffered greatly. When Jesus asked the demons, what is your name? They said, our, our, our name is, many, is legion because we are many. And at that time in the Roman army, a legion of soldiers would have been about 6,000 soldiers. And, and we're not told directly how many demons are tormenting this man, but it's a lot. Later on, they rush into a herd of 2,000 pigs, and the pigs go down and, and drown. The darkness is great in this man. But then they beg Jesus. Notice again the difference between his authority and them. They beg him, and they say, send us to the pigs that we may enter them. And in verse 13, Jesus gives them permission. Again, the authority of Jesus. And the unclean spirits come out, they go into the pigs, and the pigs rush down into the water, and they're drowned. And the herdsmen fled, like you and I might, and told it in the city. Well, this is the talk of the town now. They go and they talk, tell about it in the city, and people come out to see what had happened. And they came, in verse 15, to Jesus and saw the demon-possessed man, the one who had had the legion, sitting there, clothed and in his right mind. And they were afraid. Jesus calms another storm. Like the wind and the waves, the demon-possessed man was in chaos and disorder and violence. And then Jesus spoke, and there was a great calm. The man became still and quiet, peaceful and sane. Jesus restored his dignity. He made this man more human. He took away his shame and he freed him from slavery to sin and death. But what's strange about all of this is that the villagers who heard about what had happened begged Jesus to leave. Before Jesus arrived, the people in that area, they seemed to happily, I don't know, coexist with this man. They tried to chain him up, he broke the chains apart, but it was almost as if they just decided, well, he's gonna live out there, out there by the tombs, we'll just, just We'll just leave him alone. He can do what he wants. Just you stay out there, we'll stay here, and everybody will be fine. And now the man is well, and they're afraid. They weren't afraid of him with the demons, and now something 
is scaring them when he's well. And instead of responding with amazement or, or at least curiosity about Jesus, they beg him to leave. There are those who can tolerate and coexist with evil, but who cannot tolerate Jesus. God in the flesh was in their midst. They could touch him. If they got close enough, they could feel his breath on their cheek. They could hear him speak. They could tell you what color his hair was. The demon defeater, the life giver, the savior of the world was right in front of them. And they saw him deliver this man. And they still turned away. And they begged him to leave them alone. Don't be like that. When Jesus comes in your midst, don't turn him away. Don't be like that. One pastor observed that on one level, this was a kind of test for the people in this area. Jesus conquers evil in this man. He sets him free. But also, if you notice, 2,000 pigs are lost. And at that time, even today, I don't know anything about this, but 2,000 is a lot of animals. And that would have represented a big loss, a big financial loss. So the question and the test is for them, and maybe for us too, which way will you go? Where is your treasure? Will you value the money and economic stability or salvation? Liberation from sin or money in your pocket? You see this going on throughout Scripture. Jesus meets a, a rich young man and he walks away from Jesus. He can't let go of his belongings. And Jesus said, what good is it though? He said, Actually, it is quite possible for you to gain the whole world. Get everything you want. All your dreams come true. You do you. Live your truth. Follow your path. And still, you lose your soul in the end. What good is that? So how will you respond to Jesus and what he's done? Will we treasure him or will we treasure something else? In Taiwan, where we live, there's a lot of Buddhists. And in general, Buddhists don't want to do harm to life. And I suspect that if one of our friends, our Buddhist friends in Taiwan were to read this, they wouldn't see the deliverance of the man so much. They would see the death of 2,000 pigs. And they might say, well, what's, what, what's going on there? How come so many pigs died? They might ask, is the salvation of this one guy really worth the loss of 2,000 pigs? And I, I want to tell you, absolutely. Not because I don't like pigs. In the Old Testament, God speaks to his people, Israel, and he says, not about pigs, but he says, I give nations in exchange for you because I love you and because you're precious to me. And then you fast forward to the New Testament and Jesus is talking to people who have a lot of anxiety in their life and he just says, open your eyes, look around. 
Look at the birds. God cares for these birds. He takes care of them. Don't you think he'll take care of you because you are worth more than many birds? And it doesn't sound as good this morning, but I want to tell you, you are worth more than many pigs. In his love for you, Jesus would turn a house over looking for you like someone looking for a priceless lost coin. He would leave the 99 sheep like a good shepherd just to find you, the one who ran away and who's lost. The life of the pigs for the salvation of this one man, you better believe it. Let them go so that this man can come home. And after this man is delivered, he's sitting there in his right mind. Verse 18 says, Jesus was getting in the boat to leave, and the man begs to go with Jesus. Wouldn't you? Because when Jesus saves you, you want to be with him. You don't want him to leave. Do you desire to be with Jesus? I mean, one day, we feel separation now. Sometimes we come to church and we have a great experience and it feels like the Lord is so close. And then Monday comes. But one day, it's not going to be like that anymore. One day, we will forever be with the Lord. This man doesn't want Jesus to leave. But Jesus does something interesting. He he doesn't let him come with him. Verse 19 says, he didn't permit the man to come with him, but instead he said, go home to your friends and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. And the man went away and began to proclaim in the Decapolis how much Jesus had done for him, and everyone marveled. Can you imagine this man's testimony? It's probably a lot like yours and mine. I once was lost, but now I'm found. And this man goes out and he proclaims the excellencies of the one who called him out of darkness and brought him in to his marvelous light. I was dead, but he made me alive again. I was a slave, but he set me free. And if you're in Christ today, you have a story very similar to that. Jesus tells the man, go and tell. And the man obeys with joy. And in the same way, Jesus has commissioned you and me to go and tell. Maybe it won't be far away. Maybe it will be like this man. Go home to your family. Go home to your friends. Talk to that coworker. Talk to that classmate. Start the conversation about Jesus and see what the Lord does. There might be some who respond like the villagers. Leave me alone. But there might be some who say, who is this? He commands the evil spirits to go and they obey him? Who is this that changed your life? And they might marvel. Mark did not record this event, 
so that we would walk away indifferent and apathetic toward Jesus. Just like John, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, just like John, I believe Mark wrote this so that you might believe that Jesus is the Son of God and that by believing in him, you would have life in his name. Wholeness, wellness. So how will you respond? I wonder if there's anyone here today secretly hoping that all of this is true. Or if you know someone and you talk to them about the Lord, there's sometimes, there are people who say, boy, that sounds really good. I've had someone in Taiwan tell this to me. That sounds really good, but I just, I'm having a hard time. Do you hope it's true? It is true. You've seen the deliverance of this man, his dignity restored, his shame taken away, his mind renewed. He's more human now than he's ever been. He was rescued by Jesus and liberated from slavery to sin. And you might be wondering, could Jesus do that for me too? And the answer is yes. Absolutely. Jesus came for you. He came to bring you out of darkness. Leave the tombs and leave the chains behind. He came to bring you out of darkness. The strong man has come. And to bring you into his marvelous light. To bring you into the warmth of his family and his kingdom. To disarm the captor and set you free. To walk with him in security without fear to give you rest for your soul, to put you in your right mind. Doesn't that sound good? I hope so. He can do it for you. Won't you turn to him? Let's pray together. Lord, we thank you for your word. You have no rival. You have no equal. Yours is the kingdom, now and forever. We pray that you might open our eyes, God, to see how great your love for us is, how great your power is that you've already demonstrated through Christ. And I pray that none of us in this room today would walk away like the villagers did, that none of us would beg you to leave us alone, but instead that we would turn to you again and again and maybe turn to you for the first time today. We pray that you might honor your word in our hearts. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen.